0: I am a believer that everybody and when I say everybody, I mean every investment, everybody's on the payroll. So if you aren't contributing, you got to go. You're fired.
1: I'll never forget that day when I asked myself the question, is this it? Is this all there is to strive for in life? That day, I set out on a journey to find more. Now I am sitting down with the most fulfilled to teach us the tools and tips they use to get there so we can do it faster. Think different earn different, live fulfilled. This is Contrarian Cashflow. All right, welcome in Contrarian Cashflow. Got Jennifer Grimson with me here this afternoon. Jennifer, how are you doing? I'm great. Thank you. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time to sit down and and join us and share your incredible story. So Jennifer is a real estate investor, podcast host, and above all else, a loving mother. So Jennifer, what are you working on right now?
0: What am I working on on my investment wise I'm exploring opportunities in self storage that's what I'm really interested in I'm doing small but consistent investments in uh, stock market and in my personal life we're just trying to how to see you know between us we have six kids and two grandkids so just kind of getting around to see all of them and have meaningful interactions with them in the middle of covid which is kind of hard
1: that's awesome well that is quite a quite a crew you have between the two of you so obviously the impetus for this show is the journey. So and that's, that's why I was so excited to get you on is because I think you have such an incredible story. So I guess let's just start at the front. So so how did you get to where you are today? And what brought about this podcast of yours, micro empires and and this investing journey?
0: Okay, well, I will give you the encapsulated version. And for your listeners, anybody wants to hear the details, they can listen to really just the first three episodes of my podcast, which are really short, but Basically, the long story short is I met and married my, I met my first boyfriend who became my husband when I was 21 years old. I was married to him until I was 29, went through a divorce with him and had my two children. And at the time of the divorce, we had lived in financial chaos, which I think is really common in a lot of marriages, especially I talk a lot about my show about money culture and understanding your money culture up in and what you need From a partner and hopefully you understand what yours is. But I was married to someone who had a lot of chaos around money and I didn't grow up that way. So I went through a a really awful divorce and basically I ended up, by the time I was able to leave the state of California, which is what I was able to do, got custody of my children, moved to New Hampshire. I had no money, no job, no car, no place to live and these two kids to take care of. I ultimately was driven into Chapter 13 bankruptcy because my ex-husband sued me 25 times in 10 years, and I amassed $500,000 in attorney's fees. And that can happen. (laughs) Most divorces, I would hope, while maybe contentious, are usually between two fairly normal, rational people. So hopefully that will never happen to somebody, but there are other reasons that it happens. And then I went through, I rebuilt. I had to move in with my mom, with my kids. I was able to rebuild, literally get great sales jobs, make great money. Didn't know I had that ability to do that. Built my design and built my own home, et cetera. And then I I met someone because my money mistakes are relational. So I never, my mistakes weren't about having the best designer bag or an expensive car. It was about who I allowed to control my well-being financially. So I moved to Tennessee after I had been dating someone for about a year and a half. And long story short, I was in a high-pressure job. The lawsuits were still continuing with my ex-husband. And one of the ways out that I realized was instead of working so hard and making so much money, so he kept suing me, was to take away what he wanted which was money. So my boyfriend asked me to move in and he wanted me to quit my job. And he had the financial means for us to be able to do that. I'd sold my house. So I quit my job and I moved in and was able to stay home with the kids for four years, which was great. But when our relationship ended, I was again with no money, no car, no job, no place to live, two kids to raise. And I had to, I had filed for chapter 13 a second time. And I had turned my financial well-being over to someone else. So when that happened the second time, I realized no matter what I did, I knew I could go out and get a good sales job. And I, I'm i going to do an episode about selling and why, despite what people think and you know all the stereotypes they have around selling, it is one of the best jobs, especially for women, because you are only measured on your performance. And it gives you flexibility and the ability to make money way above what most other positions will pay. So I knew I could do that, but I also knew that I wasn't going to be able to establish real security, financial security and financial independence, unless I built what I like to call little micro empires, you know, and in my world, like if it belongs to me, it's an empire, you know, because people hear the word empire, they think, oh, you know, what are you, you know, what are you sitting on top of? It it doesn't matter if it's mine, it's an empire.
1: I think that's so empowering too, though, because I think, again, this is all stems from mindset. And I just think the motivation and just the being able to call something your empire is just so empowering, regardless if it's a car, if it's an investment, if it's stock, if it's real estate, I just love that vernacular because I just think that at the end of the day, it's all this motivation and it's all this in our mind, what more can we do? And that's why I love that micro empire, because I think sometimes we demean things that are important to us because we've achieved them. And being able to look at it from that perspective, I think is so empowering. So yeah, I I definitely love that micro empire uh, vernacular, because I think that really is empowering to the success that that someone's built, regardless of what it is, but at least it gleans the importance to them of, of that achievement that they've done.
0: Exactly. And I, you know, everything was a micro empire. So I knew the first thing I did was to to buy a house, which was not easy. It took me three years to rebuild credit three or four years. And then I bought a house, which was an act of God and hilarity all at the same time. I cover that in my episodes as well. But I bought the house and then I, I, I took a job and I do this anytime I've worked in the corporate world. I always put my head down and just get in because if I'm going to be a performer, I'm going to be a top performer. But I looked at my job by nine to five as a micro empire because I knew in order to make the most money, I had to sell the most. So for my division, you know, I was salesperson of the year. And I just, you know, that was it. That was going to be my focus. And then I started learning about investing. I learned a lot of things. The real turn for me became joining an investor group, number one, a real estate investor group. And then, however, as interesting as that was, and as I was getting that education what the game changer was when I discovered Airbnb. And it, for me, it was 2014. And I remember going to my investor friends, very successful people saying, this is incredible. This is unbelievable. And number one, they would say, what do you mean you're letting people stay in your house? And then number two, they didn't believe the numbers that I had. The first house, my home, I realized if I just rent the house for six nights a month, it covers my mortgage. So that was my goal, six nights a month. And within five days of putting it on Airbnb, I was booked up for 30 days immediately. And that's when I realized I needed another house. That was very lucrative. I had my properties, and I share I always share my numbers because I think people in in the financial media world, when they're talking a lot of times or even real estate, they're kind of talking in these terms that the average person can't understand. So I like to share. So uh, the houses sometimes would gross fifteen thousand dollars a month for one house, and I had three. However, Airbnb is a very high overhead high touch business. So there is a lot of cost. Uh, so you may be grossing 15,000 but you may be bringing in 8 still amazing amazing. So these these created an entire income equal to what I was earning in my corporate job. So that had been my plan I quit my corporate job in November 18. This is my and I had promised myself when the houses got to a certain place that I would do that. I did that, and literally the what what happened in my world because I'm based in Nashville, Tennessee is the rest of the world realized what an amazing gravy train this was, and properties got bought up by investors and by other people. And I had huge competition. I had I had really nice but basic homes, and I didn't have rooftop decks and I didn't have hot tubs. So the competition got Tight, but literally for the first time in four years, right after I quit my job, all three houses sat empty for three months, and I was completely panicked, as you can imagine. My carrying cost was seven thousand dollars a month for just to keep the houses up with everything that I carried on them, and I had a friend of mine here who's an award-winning, you know, um, musician writer songwriter and she said cuz she's a creative and she understands she said uh oh that's just the universe you know testing you to see if you're serious <laughs> <laughs> and i was like well the universe can suck it because this is bullshit <laughs> that was terrifying to me so that I, so i went through 2019 and i'm a believer that's another thing about micro empires I am a believer that everybody, and when I say everybody, I mean every investment, every, everybody's on the payroll. So if you aren't contributing, you got to go, you're fired. So I spent 2019 assessing the market, looking around, watching my numbers, and it went down and I decided I'm selling, which was really hard, especially because the first house had a lot of emotional attachment for me. Um, and and everybody who knew me, who knows me, who's been to that house and knows exactly what it is. And everybody had attachment to it. Every, it was called park. We all called it park and everybody loved park. So to let that go was really hard, but I let them go in February of 2020, 30 days before COVID hit.
1: And there's the universe again,
0: there's the universe again, but I have to say, and I just mentioned to you earlier before we started recording my friend, Ashley Wilson, from the real estate investor and badass investor, and the writer of "The Only Woman in the Room," that she, when I said to her, "Wow, what luck I had," she said, "That's not luck. You spent a year looking at it. It was going down. You did the right thing. It, you know, COVID came along. I didn't predict that, but so that has given me cash reserves, which has been great, and that's what I'm sitting on now in contemplating these investments that I'm looking at.
1: That's just an amazing story, and I mean, Airbnb is something that's in, in, is super intriguing to me, and I just out of that fear. I haven't really gotten into it yet, but I know people have made a killing. i focus focused more on the buy and hold side more than anything. But um, so what What got you down that path in the first place? So you talked about, you, you know, you were able to get these corporate jobs, have success very quickly in sales, which of course I'm a salesperson. So you're not, you're barking up the right tree there. So, you know, I'm always going to champion sales from a lifestyle perspective and then also from a compensation perspective but what got your mindset to the point that you didn't just think hey I'm making a lot of money in this sales job like why is why was that not enough
0: oh probably cuz i got my ass fired several times <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: that'll do it that'll do it
0: i got fired from a job where the gentleman knew that i was a single mother knew that i had jo- it was actually the first job that i had after the second time coming into this situation and he fired me. And you know, perhaps I deserve to be fired. Um, I'll leave that up to him. But having been a director of sales myself for a, a healthcare company, I think there's a right way to do that and a wrong way to do that. And I do think you need to take people's um, personal lives into effect. I would have appreciated a 30-day plan, as we call it, especially in sales for performance, which really is your warning signal, like get your crap together or you're out of here. And that didn't happen. So that, I mean, and, and when you get fired from a job, it's not only my income, but obviously the only health insurance that the children had, myself and the kids. So that did it. And I just, I've always had that attitude. When I'm an employee for a company, I'm a very good employee. I'm a good soldier. I'm very good at that. But that doesn't mean that I don't understand that I can be let go at any time and that you can be a top performer and sometimes you're earning too much money and they let you go for that. I was a very top performer in one company and they didn't like the checks that they were sending out. So they let go, they laid off me and some other people. So anyway, that was, that's definitely the motivator where I was like, I am going to find a way that nobody can ever take this away from me again. And having my corporate job be it is not the way. So I think think that's so,
1: (laughs) I think that's so important. I mean, that's the risk of sales, right? I mean, it's the roller coaster up and down. You can, you can hit a home run. And have a really great year and you can fall off the, the roller coaster the next year and be looking for work. And, and that's the struggle. And I think that's what a lot of people have challenges with. Me personally, is a lot of factors are out of your control just as COVID is right now. But the thing that I love from your perspective is that you're taking that accountability and that defensive posture that even if something out of your control happens or, you know, or if it's partially your fault uh, for an outcome that happens in the corporate side, that gives you the flexibility to at least sustain and have income to support your family and cover your expenses so you aren't in a in a tough spot. So, well you went through so many things that I wanted to unpack from your story. So, and it's really important to me because I feel like a lot of times these these things aren't really talked about. So, when you talked about, before about you were you were in a relationship in Nashville, you had had a job, but your boyfriend at the time was really was really wanting you to be home with the kids. And and this is something that, that my wife struggles with. So, that's why I really want to get this point across and, and have have your perspective. Then you quit that job. So you could be home with the family, but then that relationship soured. And now all of a sudden you don't have that income. And especially if you're in the sales realm, you can go find a sales job. I have no doubt, but you know, you're just going to be making the bare minimum. That's not going to be enough to cover. You know, I mean, I know how much kids cost daycare right. and, and, and everything and food and, and shelter and a car. So what is that? I mean, cause you talked about that, um, you know, a lot of your money problems came via relationships, but what have you learned and what's your recommendation for women in those scenarios, balancing being the mother that you want to be and also protecting yourself from a negative outcome?
0: Right. Well, I have an episode called The Never Ever Evers, and I cover some of those things in that. What I learned specifically and it was to never, ever, ever turn your financial well-being over to another human being. So, and I said that on another show and they said, well, wait a minute, what about a financial advisor, whatever? And and I look at a financial advisor, an attorney, a CPA, whatever it is, they are on the payroll. They're here to work for me. I'm not giving them my money and saying, oh, I don't know. You figure it out. I'm, gee, I don't, I don't know what to do. You tell me what to do. That's BS. And I, I think that's an important mind shift just there to remember that the people that you hire work for you, period when it comes to relationships i mean some of it is just about marriage right so i didn't get married which was my choice and i was glad actually not to get married which tells you something about the relationship but i would never ever ever live in a home that did not have my name on it ever ever again and that can be a rule breaker for a lot of people and i'm okay with that you have to be okay with that you know i would never i i just wouldn't even do things like have a joint bank account because it's not really necessary it's not really a big deal but i never really got the idea behind that. But I think more than anything, it's knowing what your absolutes are and having the power and the belief in yourself and the mindset to not only ask for them, but to demand them. So I'm married now. I've been married for two and a half years, newly married. And believe me, getting married second time, Both I was 50 by the time we got married. So, you know, he'd been through a 27 year marriage. I had been through a really awful prolonged divorce and there's a lot of money at stake. But what we had in common is we were both the providers for our family, both financial providers. We're both type A, we're both head of household. So you want to talk about kind of a pit bull fight, right? But coming into that, And there is a role expectation that somehow miraculously men know more about money than we do, which is actually not true. And in fact, women turn over the financial slash investing decisions to the husbands in the majority of relationships. But statistically, women do much better when they invest. So when women take the risk and invest, and it's not even really a big risk, because again, I'm not a believer in big risks. I take micro risks. We outperform men exponentially. So I had to learn that lesson and I still stand by that lesson. And that you know, that was a leap of faith because we actually, we were engaged, but we were buying a house I had purchased a house that we thought we were going to buy together anyway. I bought it myself. And then prior to being married, there was this other house that we were going to live in, keep this one as a rental and live in this one. So my soon-to-be husband was going to buy it and he was going to buy it on his own, which he did. And I was like, and I'm not moving into it unless my name's on it, which is a big risk for him. I mean, any any lawyer or financial person would say, whoa, don't do that till you're married or your finances are whatever. So it was a bit of a risk, but for him, Uh, but I had made that promise to myself and I kept it and it worked out. (laughs) So that all worked out because anyway, we'd, we'd worked out how I was carrying one property. He was carrying the other, et cetera, et cetera. But the conversations around money in couples are not something we're ever taught. And then if you marry someone young and like you guys got married, I don't know when, but you know, you got married, you started a family together, you're growing up together and you made these children together. So you're caring for these children together. Very different than you've got two people with six adult children and our own investments and our own things to, to, and our own debts. But having that conversation is hard. And one thing that frustrates me is I meet a lot of women who are in their forties, who've just you know coming out of a long term marriage and their entire financial plan is maybe i'll meet someone and that is a horrible plan and it's statistically not not good you know it's it's not a great option so i just i'm just a i'm just a believer in you have to you cannot abandon yourself you have to stand up for yourself and believe in yourself and i know that's a little touchy feely but i have real tactical ways that i employ that
1: yeah, absolutely. Well, and I, w- I would recommend any of my listeners to go over and listen to your shows because they're just so empowering, and I think the story is just so impactful. So, kind of digging into that, how did how did you educate yourself? I mean, you're you've got an immense amount of knowledge. How did this all start? You didn't just wake up one day and say, "Hey, you know, I'm kind of on my butt on the street. Let's figure this out." How did you get to have the knowledge and the wherewithal to to build up these these micro empires?
0: Yeah, I think. At the core, I'm a, I am a very fast learner. I do like to learn. I, I think that the willingness and openness to learn keeps you young as well. So I encourage anybody to keep that open because it does keep you young. And it keeps you around young people as well. I believe that if you want to become a real estate investor, you need to jump in the pool with the real estate investors. So that doesn't mean you need to buy anything, but you need to start swimming in that pool. And you need to swim in that pool before you even have the right uniform, the right swimsuit, right? So the first thing I did was just start going to real estate investor meetings. And believe me, I I would spend the entire meeting just writing down words, self-directed IRA, 1031 exchange, a HELOC. You know, I didn't understand any of these wor- words were. People would ask me, are you into buy and hold? Are you a flipper? I was like, I don't know. Are you multifamily? Are you storage? Are you mobile parks, you know, what are you? And I'm like, I I don't know what I am. And I don't know what any of those words are. So you got to be really comfortable with being uncomfortable, which is something I talk about a lot. Um, And I like being in a room full of people that I think are smarter than me. And I think of myself as a very smart person, but there are a lot of folks that do not feel comfortable not being the smartest one in the room. And if that's who you are, I would argue that you'll, you will never excel as fast as if you are someone who is open to learning and open to really being there, being okay with asking what you think might be dumb questions, which they're not dumb questions. But we have societally as a whole, we have this, it drives me crazy this i don't know if it's a, like an american culture number 1 that we don't talk about our money right it's religion politics and money i get the first two i don't get the third not that you should walk around saying i make this much money i make that much money but we the majority of americans are in debt severe debt the majority of americans despite how much money they may make even if they're six figure earners are just a couple of paychecks away from not being able to pay the bills but we have we have this tendency to live with a facade and not talk about it. So one of the things about the podcast, I knew I had to tell the story. I had kept it a secret too, because there was so much shame, but I had to tell the story because well, number one, how was I going to convince anybody to listen to it? But I found by telling it that I just run into people that look, they are well into the six figures and they are living so underwater and they have no one to talk about it. And they think that this is just how they are supposed to be living, and the level of stress that they have. So that's why I talk a lot about money and mindset and culture, your own culture, your culture and your marriage, you know, with your children, etc, and just the ability to talk about it. And I talk to people about their money every day, and I still it's still so funny to me, um, kind of how off-putting it can be. For folks. I I don't do a lot of coaching, but I do some one-on-one coaching. And I've actually talked to you about somebody I'm working with right now. And the first thing I say is how much money you're making, which is so impolite at a cocktail party. I would never do that. But if you're you're hiring me to help you take it to the next level or whatever it is that you're going to do, then I need to know what it is that you want monetarily. I mean, let's just talk about that. But I'm getting a little off topic, but I just wanted to say about that is that this person that I'm working with, and I'm bringing it up because you happen to know, I think he's a great example. He's somebody who has kept his head down, worked very, very hard for a long period of time for an organization. He has gone up in the ranks, he has skyrocketed, and he has been passed over for opportunities. And that is where you need to just go where you're treated best. But he's never spent the time to work on his own brand, right? So he's been a rock star in his company, but he's done nothing to promote himself as this unbelievable asset to any organization. And, and he, he, like his eyes came up from the paper, all of a sudden, he's like, holy cow, they're going to just pass me over. Like I've hit the ceiling. And so I just, you know, I think all of that, so we have to talk about money and his life and all that good stuff. So
1: I mean, and Sorry, I think that's <laughs> so, no, it's totally fine. No, I, I totally appreciate that. And I think the money culture thing, for some reason, it doesn't bother me. It's being in staffing and recruiting. It's just a, it's a normal conversation. I mean, yeah. Is this job even worthwhile for us to continue this conversation or is the compensation going to be so less that you're just like, hey, you know, it's not going to work for me. And so for whatever reason, I'm in the same vein. It, to me, it's just a fact. It's not a good or a bad thing. It's just a fact. Hey, I make X or or I don't. And, you know, this is kind of my goals and this is how I want to get there. And the income is a huge part of that. So, so from the money culture thing, I I think that's tremendous. And back to the marriage. So I think that's a, a curious question that I have is that's kind of a leap of faith. Like my wife and I, we thought we were on the same page in regards to finances and spending. And thankfully we have been, but You know, she's not into the designer handbags and and the, you know, nice clothes. She's just as comfortable wearing something from Target or Walmart or whatever. And, you know, I think she looks just as good. So, you know, that's all that really matters. But yes, within a relationship, that's a big leap of faith. So how do you recommend people go about having those conversations prior to? So before you get involved too deep, you kind of have an idea of what the money culture of the other party is.
0: Well, are you talking about like before you get married or staying home with kids or getting married for the second time or...
1: Oh I'm sorry primarily in regards to yeah getting married with somebody so obviously you've got this relationship and how do you know how, how can you kind of predict or how can you kind of have those conversations early on so that you know 5 6 years down the road that once you are married that you're going to say hey your spend your credit card bills are insane and that's just not what I want or you know you're willing to take on all this debt and I'm not comfortable with that
0: right you know it's funny cuz i'm in the process of writing a book and now you're making me think Oh, I should just write a book on that because I'm, I'm sitting here and I'm thinking, I recommend other people's books all the time. And I'm thinking, is there one out there that walks you through? I'm sure there is. I don't know what it is, but I'll, I'll see if I can find one. Because I think the answer to that would be to sit down with someone, to sit down with your betrothed, And to say, you know, let's have an honest conversation about money. Where are you on debt? How, how, this is how I started um, because I understand what you're saying about the salary, like what is your salary? But the questions that you're not asking in your job is, you know, how does it make you feel if you're not driving a brand new car? Is it important to you? So those are the things I ask, you know, how does money make you feel? How important is it in your life? What does money mean to you, right? So my quest for money. In my definition of wealth, and I'm using my finger quotes, is time and options, right? So I have all the time to do whatever I want. And if something goes wrong, I have options. And when you don't have money, that's what you lose. You have no time. You have to work for someone else all the time and work maybe three jobs. And you don't have options. If your tires go out, you need new tires, and you have no money, you're left without options. So those are my definitions. Very different from somebody who says, it's really important for me and and i i don't judge on whatever the important part is so there are a lot of folks that are like it's really important to me that i have the designer clothes and a really nice car and I live in a nice neighborhood and my kids go to a private school. Okay. Is it more important than travel or retirement or healthcare or XYZ? If that's going to be the truth, are you okay with you raise these children? They hit 25, 30, they're going out the door, they're getting married on their own. All of a sudden you're sick and you haven't done anything to take care of yourself financially. And your 30 year old ends up taking care of you for years. So those are the things that I would think about. I personally had to be with somebody who felt the same way about money that I did. So my husband, he had a different money culture in his first marriage than he has now. He lived in a great big house in a really fancy neighborhood. And I was living in the hood, which I talk about on my show as well. (laughs) And I was like... Get on the Jennifer train. I'm like, this is where this is where it's at, man. And I just, I just didn't see the logic in it. I'm like, it's nice to have. I have a beautiful house. I do. It's just not a big house, and it, it, that doesn't matter to me. What's more important to me is experiences. So for Christmas this year, we're going to take the kids on the kids, they're adults, on a vacation. That is That's a awesome. big deal. That's an awesome. So I'm not good at like, here's your gift. I'm good at let's go have an experience together. That's important to me. I would give up a lot and for that. But I can't, I find it hard to identify with people who really are attached to material things because, because I'm not, and I think that's been a blessing. So those are the conversations that I would have. And I would, I would really focus on how it makes you feel because you can marry somebody who's like, oh yeah, all right, we agree, we're gonna put $500 in the savings account or whatever it is that you're going to do. But if you don't address what's going on inside, you're never, you're never going to really come together as a couple, a united couple, because one person may have to let go of, it has no effect on my self-worth, the type of clothes that I wear. That has no effect on me. If it does have an effect on me, that doesn't mean you have to get rid of that, but just acknowledge it. But you're, if you want to achieve financial independence, you're probably going to have to let something else go whatever, you can have the expensive clothes and expensive car, maybe not the house, maybe not the vacations, maybe not whatever, but it's the number one leading uh, leading cause. It is the reason for most divorces is finance above and beyond anything. So my first husband had so much emotional attachment to money, but it was really based on his life. He had, he, he, uh, you know, basic things like he was he didn't have food as a kid so he had to eat out every single day which may not seem like a lot but when you're poor which we were <laughs> that was a lot i could eat rice every single day it doesn't affect my self worth i don't care
1: i don't care if that's what i need to do that's fine i think that's so important and i mean the biggest the biggest takeaway from what you just said is open communication and i think so many people struggle with that in any relationship it doesn't matter if it's a uh, Spousal relationship, if it's a business relationship, if it's a friendship, I just think that's so, especially in this day and age, in the, in the digital world, I think we all struggle with communicating effectively. And so I think that's the biggest thing that I would take away from it is just make sure that communication is there and that it's open and you're asking the right questions. Just that how does it make you feel? I, I think that's more important than anything because at the end of the day, this is all emotions and connections. And so if you have a connection to that material object, there's nothing wrong with that. And kind of, uh, you know, I was kind of having it back to the salary discussion. It's just a fact like just because material items aren't as important and necessary to me or my wife or my family or you doesn't, that doesn't mean that they shouldn't be important to somebody else. It's just, what do we value? And are we communicating that effectively to the other party? So, but as far as, what's important. I couldn't agree more with you as far as time freedom and the ability to, um, you know, weather those storms when they happen. And yeah. so those are the things that are extremely important, important to me as well. So, so one thing I wanted to touch upon is obviously you're very of you know, you're very, very confident. So what is it like being the only woman in the room when you're going to these real estate events? And what's your advice to a woman that maybe isn't, doesn't have the confidence or the, you know, the emotional stamina to kind of go in there and be that person and that only woman in the room. I mean, that's, that's a challenge. So, so what's your recommendation and and how did you make it through yourself to the levels of success that you have now?
0: I think a lot of it is, I took a sailing class in college and my sailing instructor said to me, the number one rule of sailing, maintain the facade. And I always thought that's true. Like in the sailing community, nobody acts like, Oh, I don't know what I'm doing. They're (laughs) but you have to, you, they got to start somewhere. Um, and sailing was really scary for me. Always had that and maintain the facade. It's like a great flight attendant never tells you how scared he or she might be. So it is a lot of acting as if, and that doesn't mean putting on a front. I do try to, I do try to keep in mind that the level of confidence that I have doesn't just live in everybody and doesn't happen overnight. And that while I'm not an extrovert, I am very thick-skinned. Half of that is learned through being in sales all those years and eating rejection for breakfast every single day. But I think my advice would be to literally have the just act as if, and then be respectful of what you really need. So if you're going to a new group, let's say, and you're nervous, maybe it is going to be all men, and that's not an environment that you're comfortable in. If you need to bring a friend, bring a friend. But I, I would say this in all networking events. I have an episode on this. I'm actually an outgoing introvert. I do not like networking events, but I go to them and I, and I crush it when I go because if I'm going to be there, I'm going to do it. My goal is to connect with one, two, maybe three people. It doesn't matter if there's 300 people in the room because I really don't need to do more. And when you are the only woman in the room, remember that makes you memorable period. I'm nearly six feet tall. I have red hair. So that makes me stand out anyway. But just being the only woman in the room, if you find one person that you connect with, that's really all you need to do. I think in other things that we talked about before we started recording, but you mentioned, you know, women might want to be surrounding themselves with other women who are powerful or high earners, et cetera. And they might get shamed for that. This is easier said than done. But when I experience things like that, I'm, I just think to myself, "Thank you, wrong group, and move on." And that's a lot about just kind of brushing it off. And there is a lot of jealousy, shade doesn't just happen to women; it happens to men too. But when, especially when you are walking in the direction of your dreams or your goals, and somebody's watching you do it, the people who truly love you and support you will be thrilled. But there will be a lot who don't. We were talking about who supports you, who's in your background. You know, I don't think that very many people from my family listen to my podcast. I long ago, I consider that looking for hot dogs at the crab shack. Like if you're showing up every day going, can I have a hot dog? And they're like, no, we have crabs. I have a hot dog, crabs, hot dog. We got crab. We got crab cakes. We got crab, you know, chowder. We don't have any hot dogs. Like who's the stupid one in that realm? It's me. Right. So I stopped looking for what I needed in the wrong places. So. My family may not listen to the episode or be a follower or whatever. That doesn't mean they don't love me. That's just not how they're necessarily going to support me in that area. But I just keep looking for the pockets of people who do want to support whatever it is that I'm doing and support meaning whatever, just good vibes or advice or a shoulder to lean on or someone to listen. So it's easier said than done, but it is some of that Teflon just kind of like, keep marching forward, keep your eye on the prize and the right people come out of the woodwork. And, and you don't need a lot of them. You really don't because once you find your tribe and all everybody's speaking the same language, it's incredible. You don't, you don't need a lot of them to understand it.
1: No, that's great. And I think for me, that's one of the biggest things about sales is, is the ability to learn that thick skin. I think that's just such a tough skill. People are so fearful of rejection and the beauty of sales is, you are constantly getting rejected so when you get a yes or a positive response you're you're like oh my gosh this is a different experience and so like you said i think some people kind of look down upon sales but as far as a mentality and mindset perspective i don't know i I can't think of another career that's better that you have to face more adversity on a day-in and day-out basis anxiety so you're never going to be able to convince me that sales is not a great opportunity for people to learn mental toughness fortitude And putting themselves, as you put it, you know, get comfortable being uncomfortable because you're going to be uncomfortable every day because you don't know what that other person on the end of the phone is. Have they had a bad day? Did they have a fight with their spouse? Are they having money problems? You know, whatever the case is, they might just take it out on you because they're just like, oh, it's just another salesperson bothering me. But the other thing that you talked about there as well was being comfortable letting go of people within your circle, friends, family, people that are close to you that you expected to be there. And just because they're not following you every step of the way in every journey that you take doesn't mean you have to cut off those relationships. But just making sure that the people that are surrounding you in the areas that are important and that you're pursuing are the ones that are going to bring you up. And I think that's what a lot of people struggle with, especially in relationships, is back to the point of communication. And one thing I always talk about is risk tolerance. It's risk. I mean, so no matter what you say, buying houses to do Airbnb is risky. And yes. not every person is going to be comfortable with that or buying houses as rentals, period, is risky. You know, I've got thousands of dollars in bills and, and lack of tenants because of COVID. So I've lost, I've lost plenty of money during this time totally out of my control. And so I think that's another question that you need to make sure you're asking and posing to your spouse and significant other is do we align not only money culture wise, but also risk tolerance because something, you know, like you said, that mini micro empire of your W2 job, that might be enough risk for somebody to take. And that's totally fine. It's all, this is all a journey of self understanding and making sure that the, the choices you're making and what you're doing are are what align with your goals and values. So no, I think that's that's tremendous. So well, one other thing real quick before we wrap up that I wanted to get to is you and I have talked about this many times, and we, we've just been talking about it before. And there's just such a culture, a masculine culture of being unwilling to ask for help and saying that those supporting you aren't really the ones that are around you. You're just saying, hey, I'm doing this on my own and I'll take it on. And I think that's something that's so important to me is to better understand how can we interact with others and how can we interact with people from different perspectives. So, I mean, I guess I'll just come out and say it. I mean, how can men interact and communicate better with women and be more effective to give that hand up? And I'm not trying to mean that in a derogatory way, but to make sure that that they're coming along on this journey. Back to your statistic before about women being better... Uh, from a return perspective than men, why wouldn't men want that advantage? So, so what can men do out there to make sure that, that the journey is equitable?
0: Well, that's a big question. But I think that, well, first and foremost, I would say that real men are feminists. So real men want women to be treated equally in their heart of hearts, right? Maybe they're fathers of girls or, or have sisters or mothers, whatever it is. But real men are feminists. i will just open with that. But I also believe the very, very good men also don't do enough. Just like I was talking about earlier, where I think I've been a very good person. I've been a very good advocate for minorities, but I have not done enough. And so I'm going to do more. I think the first question that you or any man should ask himself anytime they're having a discussion with a woman is, and be honest with yourself, if I was hearing this coming from a man, would I have a different opinion? And if you can ask yourself that and be honest with yourself that she is the expert, she does know what she's talking about, I should be listening to her and be realistic about that. I think that's a very good exercise. And then secondly, I would say, and I've been practicing this in the last few months, just anything that we can do to lift each other up, right? So, And and I'm not talking about like false cheerleading or anything like that. But just, you know, in this day and age, honestly, a retweet from somebody who has tremendous social influence is incredible, what it can do. I've become more and more outspoken on my beliefs in terms of our racial disparity, and I'm, I'm speaking more and more about it. I'm commenting more and more about it. And guess what? I'm getting some hate mail, which, oh, well, see ya. A good thing I'm not running for prom queen is what I like to say, but I'm also getting the attention from the right people, right? So I had the honors of one of my idols reached out to me to be on, on their show. And he said, we just don't hear your voice very often, a voice like yours. So I'm, I'm fortunate. I'm a woman of privilege just because I was born white. And that's a fact. And then I have other privilege because I have been able to uh, earn money and make investments that take me to, has taken me in this different direction. But just because of my position in our society, I have privilege over other folks who don't. And it is, I believe, my moral duty to do everything I can to help or to help even portray. So as a white man in an environment, I mean like this, anytime you see a woman speaking truth or you know really coming out, even if it strikes you as like, wow, I never thought of it that way. Elevating that message, going on with that message, uh, I think is very helpful. And then secondly, honestly, when a woman is speaking to you about something, really ask yourself, if this were another man, would I have these doubts in my mind or would I not? Can I look at this in a really black and white way? Because that's how I work with people a lot anyway, is I kind of take away all the noise and I just ask basic question. So that's what I would say would be one step. I'm sure there's like 12 more, but that's what I can think of.
1: That's that's tremendous. And, and I think that's one thing that I've focused on myself personally is if you want change, you have to be the change. And uh, to your point earlier, of course, being a white male, I've, I, I live with privilege. And, you know, but I thought before just being, you know, not speaking up negatively against other races, genders, whatever was enough. And I think that's what really a lot of this is kind of awakened within me is doing nothing is just adding to the problem. And so if I really want change, I really need to go go in and enact change and really be a champion and really help those others around us. And so I I really like that answer. And I think that's tremendous. So,
0: you know, I launched my podcast in January of 2020, and then I relaunched it in July. So I took it all down and relaunched it in July. And in the initial launch, I had multiple African-American guests on the show not because I was trying to get to a certain demographic, but because they were the expert that I wanted on the show, period, end of sentence. Now it's more of a concerted effort to do anything and everything I can um, for anybody, really, but definitely in the, if it's a person of color and if I can help raise their voices, I do think we have a responsibility to do that. And there are a lot of people that do not feel that way. And there's going to be a lot of people who are going to come out of the woodwork and say things about you, especially if you want to be a public person or have a platform at all. But I would say also that a lot of people will come out of the woodwork who will appreciate it and get it. And what I've seen is my demographic shifting of who's listening to me and I welcome it because it's fantastic. I would rather have a passionate, excited, devoted audience that I can help over, you know, fans or anything like that. Like that's that's not that's not why I started my podcast. It wasn't to become famous because if if, I, if it is, I'm doing a really bad job. It was really just cuz I was going through this anyway and I knew I wasn't going to be the only one. So why wouldn't I share this with the rest of the world?
1: Absolutely. And the last thing just on that is perspective is so different. You know, I think that that's the thing we lose sight of is regardless of your background, your creed, whatever, You've seen things a certain way your whole life and so without delving into others backgrounds and perspectives you're missing out on opportunities there to grow personally and also professionally and so i think that's one thing that's so important to me is not just get short sighted and blinded with oh well this is the way we've always done it or this is the perspective we've always had it can't change so um, yeah well i'll keep trying to do my best hopefully uh, hopefully i can put those action or those words into action can, moving forward but no i really appreciate that response so So, all right, we'll wrap up with the contrarian three-pack. So, um, you know, I think you kind of already touched upon it, but what would you say would be your most contrarian investment that you've made uh, to date?
0: I made an investment. So I believe that everybody's on the payroll, right? Everybody has to have a job. Everybody has to work who I invest in. So all all the people who are really my investments. Um, and they need to earn money. So with my husband, that that was one of the things when we started investing together, I was like, this is the thing. Everything has to be on the payroll. But the exception is if you find an investment that somehow feeds a need that you have that you couldn't otherwise get, so it educates you, it enhances your life, et cetera, et cetera. So I found this company. Um, called Third Home. And they are a luxury, high-end, super high-end luxury home exchange. It's not Airbnb. It's very different. It's only for people who own these crazy houses that I don't have. And I found out about them. I called and spoke with the CEO because I knew they were taking investors. I went and met. And for a a small investment, it wasn't a lot that I took from my self-directed IRA that I used from an old 401k. So I didn't have to write a check. I invested in this company, and what it has done is it's given us access to 11,000 properties in 95 countries, and we get to travel all over the world for virtually free and stay in the most luxurious places in the world. So that is something that's not earning us a penny. Um, and my husband at first was like, wait a minute, why are we doing this? And I said, <laughs> let me tell you something. We will we will make this up in one year, especially with... So if, like for Christmas, we're going to be taking two, four, six, six of three of the kids with their significant others on a vacation that we would never do otherwise. So that is, that's my answer to that.
1: That's so, so cool. And I, I think that's important within this back to kind of some of the points we've made throughout the episode is what is important to you. And so that was an investment in yourself. Right, the monetary returns weren't necessary. Hey, what's the cash on cash? What's the IRR? What's the, you know, what's the ROI on this out the door? You were saying, hey, this is an experience that we're investing in for the rest of our lives. That's going to give us, I mean, yeah, just as you alluded to, the number of properties and countries that you can go to now. So yeah. that's awesome. Well, I love that. Um, so you talked about your kids. You've got quite a, quite a crew of them. So what's your favorite activity to do with your, your kids and, and your family?
0: Um, well, you know now, like I said, they're adults, so it's a different place than where you're at. So it's kind of it's a funny place to be. One of the benefits of having your kids young. they're our friends. So they come over. I mean, and it's different, right? There's six different adults, so you have six different relationships. They come over. we We've kind of fallen into a rhythm where uh, we get together, we play games. We go on these vacations on third home. We've done this will be our third one. and we play games all night. You know, we, keep our distance from each other during the day. Everybody's very independent. And then of course, uh, we have two amazing, beautiful, perfect grandchildren. And we just try to spend as much time with them as possible because they're my favorite humans on this planet.
1: (laughs) So that's it. And for me, I think family time is more important above all else. So I think kind of back to the point of investing in relationships and, and what's important to you. It's so important that you've defined that. And I couldn't agree more with spending time with family. Those are some of my, my most cherished memories of, you know, of my life and will continue to be so. So I love that. So lastly, kind of along that same vein, what actions offer you the most fulfillment in your life?
0: What actions offer me the most fulfillment in my life? Well, now I think it really is being able to see that by sharing my story and working directly with people that the light goes off. I mean, even the first time you and I talked, I'm not taking credit for you at all, but I'm not, I'm not. You're a
1: tremendous influence though. I mean, you, you definitely influenced me for the better.
0: Thank you. I appreciate that. But I think it was one question, right? And it was really just about, you know, what do you really want? And where's your heart? And where, and that's, and it like the light bulb went off and you've been mulling this over and, and off you went. But I, I think that I love seeing it happen. And then there are tactical things. It's like, I have somebody that I'm working with that has now in six months has thousands of dollars in the bank is out of debt credit scores up by 70%. I'm not a financial advisor. This is about mindset. And she is making the moves to make her very first investment. So that is really exciting. But yeah, that's it's very fulfilling.
1: That's awesome. Well, helping people and being a part of their journey and success is so imperative. So I, I'm, I'm just happy you didn't say money in any of those responses. So. <laughs>
0: I didn't, okay.
1: (laughs) No, but that's awesome. I mean, and that's the point of all of this. So Jennifer, I really appreciate you taking the time to sit down with us. How can our listeners get in touch with you?
0: Oh, well, uh, the easiest way is on my website, www.micro-empires.com. I also have a free ebook that I give away. It's called How to Pivot and Thrive in Any Situation. And it's really the steps that I use in every single thing that I've ever done. And they can download that, fill it out, or they can even fill it out on the site and I will get a copy of it and I'd be happy to go over it with people. I'm on all the socials either under micro empires or my name, Jennifer Grimson. That's the easiest way. Yeah. That's the best way to reach me.
1: And again, I would highly recommend anybody to visit her site and check out that, that document that she had talked about because I went through it myself personally and it definitely helped me crystallize and, you know, a couple things in my mind that I was working through and, and kind of my whys and, and the reasons to move forward around mindset. So thank again, you. definitely go check that out. So till next time, thank you again. This is Contrarian Cashflow. Talk to you guys soon. Thank you for listening to Contrarian Cashflow. I would greatly appreciate it if you left an honest review, hit subscribe so you never miss an episode, and share with someone you feel would find value. Until next time, think different, earn different, live fulfilled.